Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode two of season three of Ted Lasso. Virginia, what's going on in this episode? Well, this episode is called I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea um, because the big backdrop is this game where Richmond will play Chelsea. But we've got a couple of other big things going on. One, Trent Krim, as we know, at the end of season two, left the independent because he ended up posting or posting. He ended up writing rather about Ted's panic attacks and his source was knee and then revealed the source. And I don't know, I forget if he got fired or quit. But the point is, Trent is now on his own and he wants to write a book about Richmond. And although a lot of people are against it, Ted agrees. So Trent is now going to be in the locker room quite a bit. We. No surprise, Roy is pretty gruffy with most folks, but Roy seems to have a real issue with Trent and Oi. tells folks like, Oi. Oi. Um, not tells the team, do not talk to him under any circumstance. He says it with a lot more F-bombs and threatens to headbutt them. But so we're like, okay, what's going on here? This is weird. Trent's going to write a book, but Roy's not going to let anyone talk to them. And it was really cute because Danny Rojas, this like ray of sunshine, he... <laughs> Danny Rojas catches himself. He's like, okay, Trent Krim. And he's like, no, fuck you, Trent Krim. And it's like so funny coming from Danny. And you can tell he's just doing it because like he's scared of Roy. But anyway, there's that. We also in this episode meet Zava. Zava, this this world-renowned, super famous player that everyone has heard of except Ted. <laughs> is now back on the market um and there's talks of whether he's gonna go to chelsea west ham rebecca thinks it's like impossible to get him at richmond but would love to win him over to richmond just to like um make rupert feel bad um so there's there's that zava's introduced to us um more keely stuff at work we see her interacting with barbara her cfo a little bit more she's got a a shoot where she runs into an old friend but i think there's this really beautiful thing where like it all kind of comes together when they do go to the game at chelsea Mm -hmm. it's roy's first time back since he retired right because he spent a lot of his career at chelsea and that was really beautiful seeing him go back so oh Speaking of Roy, last, last, last bit is the other thing that's revealed in this episode is that Roy and Keeley oh. broke up and that it was and it was Roy that did the dumping and people are shocked. Shocked everyone. <laughs> Beard can't stop screaming. <laughs> Ted almost faints. It's it's really it's really cute how all the guys in the show it's just like the whole team reacts to it. Like they're just like, You're an idiot. Yeah, they're like they're <laughs> locker room and they're like fighting and everyone's upset and <laughs> and sam's like coach we just heard the most upsetting rumor and they're like all like on the verge of tears and it's because they heard that keely and roy split up <laughs> and they're like which is really sweet i actually think the way they 
wrote that and presented that was, was both really sweet, sweet and funny and and you know because the show gets into like ridiculousness sometimes that only the show can pull off and that was a moment and i like yeah that. totally yeah no it was good um okay where are we gonna start today um i don't know you want to start with barbara and keely yeah, I we were talking about this in episode one, how we don't like how they are showing Keely in this situation of her getting this company. And, you know, it was just such a big moment and such a letdown. But hey, you know what? Maybe that goes back to what we were saying, too, of when you hit that, you know, that high point, sometimes what's after it is not going even higher, right? Like you're like life is the ups and the downs. So they're just showing us the down. All right. Anyways. Okay, Barbara is being elitist and she's being cold. And what happens is that Keely is on a shoot and she ends up running into one of her old model friends, Shandy. And she, um, yeah, so this, she ends up hiring her. And we we have this scene where she's telling she's telling Barbara that she's hiring her friend, and Barbara just just rails into her, just makes her feel like a piece of shit. And and then Keely and then Keely is starting to unpack Barbara, so she goes and like has a really honest conversation with her about how like she's not allowed to treat people like that. Yeah, the the thing is, so it runs into Shandy, and Shandy, uh, which what's interesting is how Shandy shows up at that shoot. I th- I think Keely had a little bit of guilt because there's that moment where Shandy's like, "We're so proud of you," and she's like, "Why?" And you can see Keely like really doubting herself, in- even in the way she asks that. Mm-hmm. It's like because you got out all on your own, and then I think Keely feels some sort of responsibility or something feels bad. However, in Shandy's defense, during that shoot, she offers a really great idea, right? Mm-hmm. So she's creative, she's generative, she off- she's problem solving. And so Keely sees something in her and we're given hope as well. Like, oh, this is great. Keely sees something and Shandy is going to give her a chance. What we quickly realize, very, very quickly, is that Shandy's a train wreck. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that saying, hire slow, fire fast, like take your time to actually get to know someone before giving them an offer. But then once it's like not working, it's better for both parties. I mean, look, you want to get like, you want to give people a chance to develop and things like that. I'm not, but, but when it's clear, (laughs) yeah, I'm not a monster, but when it's something so obvious and it's not going to get better. Like it can't be remedied with coaching. You got to stop. Right. So I, um, I also, but, um, higher slow does not mean make people go through 19 rounds of panel. And correct. It doesn't mean like higher slow is not eight months. Like if you need to like forward this clip off to somebody, <laughs> I've got this expression when I read my books out, um, out loud on Instagram, where I like to call up things doorstep books because I feel like there's books out there that need to be like packaged and put on a CEO's doorstep as like a passive aggressive gesture like please read this you idiot um anyways that clip could be a doorstep clip so don't it's eight months is too slow and and I'm yes correct (laughs) and also yes fire fast there, I think that that I people are always so surprised because I'm so people first and I'm so like human first in the workplace. But I I also think that one of the worst things that can happen in an organization is keeping toxic high performers around and like giving them chance after chance after chance 
it it just it, it destroys companies. And I, I swear I see I see it everywhere. I'm just like, you have to fire this person. They are they are they are putting toxic energy into your organization. They're muddying the waters, like they gotta go. Like it's a cancer. It's gotta go. Yeah. I think with Shandy, what we see sort of play out is, I mean, maybe we can interpret her as toxic, but she's a liability. Yeah, and is this is where... Well, that's the same thing though, right? Like, I think that whenever yeah, someone's I... got like, when I think that, I think that toxic people inside of an organization are a liability. Yes. But I wouldn't say Shandy's a high performer. Yeah, that's though. true. She's not having like a big impact on the organization. Yeah. Right, right. And in fact, is like hurting the brand is making really bad choices on behalf of the business um, was given maybe a little too much autonomy and power mm -hmm. too quickly. Right. And I think this could have been done differently, like if you sort of set guardrails with her. But of course, she's a character in a show for entertainment. She's going to be the type of person that's not going to yeah. respect those guardrails. Anyway, that's the whole point of her character. But in real life, um, you have to sort of balance like if you're going to give someone a ton of autonomy a lot of decision making power you better give them a lot of support a lot of knowledge a lot of communication a lot of training as well right you can't expect people to figure that out in a void and here's the thing again we have another example keely is promoted into a leadership position without giving any no one gives her any training she doesn't get a coach she doesn't get anything she doesn't have any support yeah yeah, I mean, she's got Rebecca sort of unofficially, but also we see Keely so busy that she's sort of going from moment to moment, mm -hmm. right? She's really frazzled in these first couple episodes, really frazzled. She looks tired. Mm -hmm. um, and, and not in like a way that you critique women who look tired. Like they're they're making it very clear that she's working really hard, right? The whole like in the first episode, she has to carve out time to cry. Like they're making it very clear that she's being stretched in new ways yeah yeah and again maybe they are doing that to show that it's not an overnight success that i love and i'm okay with that i also loved when keely went into barbara's office and had that very calm tone it was like how you spoke to shandy was rude and unprofessional some like you know just to cut to the chase like someone at some point believed in you someone at some point believed in me let's mm -hmm. see what it looks like for us to believe together in shandy right like well you know shandy's not the right person for this but that talk i thought that that, that talk yeah, was great it was great now what i did not like about this episode again they're like doing our keely dirty is when when like Ted's like, oh, do you want some advice? And she's like, yeah. He's like, take your team out and do some bonding together, right? And she's like, oh, like doing drugs under a blood moon? Like, okay. Keely, like, yeah, she might say that to somebody like Rebecca joking, but like... She knows better. She, she would never really think that. Like, one of Keely's superpowers is her humor, and she would have said that as a joke at some point, but like, where would Keely that we know think that taking her team out to do drugs under a blood moon would make? I don't know. But I'm like, who is this new Keely you're writing? <laughs> oh, however, psychedelics in the workplace is going to be a growing trend in the future of work. So. 
Maybe, no, okay, no, no, maybe. Like, that's actually true. Like there's, there's companies that are offering like services because it like, it heightens the amount of healing that people go through. I mean, I've, ne- I've never done it, not saying I wouldn't, but like, <laughs> but there, there are like psychedelics that like help people kind of like go from one stage of life to the other, like a lot faster. So like companies are toying with that idea right now. So there you go. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she's ahead of her time as a leader. Maybe she's ahead of her No, no. It it made her seem like she was like woo-woo and flighty, right? Like, Yeah, it made her seem ditzy again. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't like it. Yeah, not a fan. Um, Not a fan of what they're doing with Keely. (laughs) Um, Zava. What can we say about Zava? That scene, by the way, that we're about to talk about, like, she is going to win another Emmy for that. Like, it is... Like Rebecca going in there and just just into the bathroom. Into the mean. bathroom. With yeah. Papa. Okay. Okay. Let's set it up. Sorry, I get excited. Okay. So uh, um, they are at the game, and it seems like that West Ham that Rupert has Zava in the bag, right? Like he, like he's over there sitting with Rupert, and Rebecca is just like enough. And she's like, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to go talk to him. If he can sweet talk him into it, so can I. So she goes to go talk to Zaba and she goes to the suite that they're all in and they don't let her in. And that there's this really powerful scene where Rupert's just like talking down to her and being an asshole, of course. And then Zaba walks out and goes to the restroom and Rebecca follows him in. And so instead of sweet talking him, she sour yells. <laughs> I love that. (laughs) I have a theory that behind any like narcissistic man, like underneath is like a tiny little fragile baby. So like, that's why I love this scene is it because narcissists, like that little tiny baby, it does not respond to people like pumping up the ego. It only responds to like, to people being mean to it, apparently. Right. Like, so she just challenged them challenge yeah. it right like because they think so low of themselves that something responds to that i guess i don't know we could probably research this um um anyways so she goes and he's going to the bathroom so she catches him at a vulnerable point and she's like at a urinal <laughs> yeah she's he's at a urinal and she's just like she just starts going into him and she's like you're not as good as you think that you are you if you really think that you're the best you should go join us and not that big shiny team and she's basically just like challenging him as a man and then she leaves the scene and she's like, and you need to eat less asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, and then she just dropped a mic and then she just left. Yeah. And it worked. I wonder, there's probably, and it worked. It, it, it did work. And you're right. I think there's something about him being challenged, right? Because when she said, like, if you're so great as you think you are, like, you wouldn't, you'd go play for any team. You wouldn't play for a team that is already predicted to win that feels lazy right mm-hmm. and um, she's like that's not what a winner would do exactly like prove that you're actually as good as you think you are and there's that there's the challenge but there's also something about he that guy is so used to like when he walked into the stadium and was like Zava Zava and he's just being like everyone's fawning over him and he's so used to all this attention that it's almost like the the um, the signal to noise ratio it's like at some point all these people adoring you is just like white noise Mm -hmm. so i bet that her tone 
her words kind of cut through and it might have been like the first time he's like hold on a second this feels different this person's talking to me this person isn't just falling into this role that everyone else around me plays and just feeds my ego right and um yeah it worked yeah it worked and it was it was it was a great little notch on the belt because he's going to join the team and, and make a big difference Jamie's not that excited, but who is the most excited that Sava's oh, joining? Danny Rojas, our boy, is excited, and so is the town of Richmond. I love so there's this scene where where, ja- where <laughs> Jamie's like, Well, the town is not gonna like this, and then it cuts to the town just like losing their mind. <laughs> there's also that amazing <laughs> line from Danny Rojas that is like my heart hasn't been beating this fast since I played in El Chapo's Youth League <laughs> I did oh, that- I did not know what they were going to do with Zaba's character like I remember watching this scene and I was like where are they going to take this like I knew I knew it was going to change Jamie so um just to kind of go back when we were doing our predictions um I I at this point in the season I I I first thought it was going to be a, a a season about Ted getting his groove back like that was going to be the motif and then that I thought it was going to, it was then going to be a story of how Jamie has achieved his greatness. Like, mm-hmm. like I thought it was all going to go back to Jamie. Like at this point I was like, Oh, this is what's happening. Like Jamie is going to get yeah. into gear now that he has somebody that's better than him. And this is all this, like all this entire show has just been a story about Jamie. I was wrong. His growth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, he's part of it, right? Like, obviously it was, not, yeah. that was not going to be the end of the story, but that's where my mind was at. Yeah. No, no. And, and Jamie at this point has shown a lot of growth. So it's like, what's next? And what we saw also in season two is that Jamie in a way to kind of, um, what's the word, make it up to the team. You know, he almost went too far in the other direction where they're like, Hey, Jamie, like sometimes you do have to be a prick. Hey, Jamie, we love that you're finally passing, but you don't have to pass every time. Right. It's almost like the, the pendulum had swung so far to the other side. And season three was about Jamie being able to accept all parts of him and blend them in the way that was really healthy and productive. And it was really beautiful. And well, we're definitely going to be talking so much about Jamie this season, but um, you know, it's interesting. Let me, I want to bring this back to work real quick. Cause I'm curious if you've had this experience too. Um, and this is going to self sound self aggrandizing. I don't mean it to, I just don't know how to say it another way. Go for but it. Go like, for it. But, <laughs> I so like I'm an idea person, right? So um so whenever I'm in meetings and I, and I had to learn this through teaching leadership and really like diving deep into leadership is that if you are a big idea person, whenever you move into a leadership role, you can create a dependency on yourself if you're the person mm. that is putting forth all the ideas all the time. Yeah. So when I was an individual contributor, it was a strength of mine and people would rely on me for that, for like my creativity and my ideas. Uh, but when I moved into a leadership role, um, I, I, I mean, I learned this through research and through studying about it, but like I had to really tone that part of myself down because I wanted my team's ideas and I didn't want them like, you know, 
no matter what, if you are in a leadership position, even if you don't want it to be, there's power that's in that. And you have to really recognize that you have power and you have to be in charge of it. Right. Yeah. So my way of being in charge of it was saying like, I'll put my ideas at the end. And Mm -hmm. I, I got into this situation where I was like always dampening like my ideas and putting my ideas forth that I, I was like always like, just like in service of other people and like watching myself so that like I didn't create a dependence so that I wasn't like overwhelming the crowd because I know how easily I can do that. And I think like the, it's not the same thing as Jamie, of course, but it's like, it's like learning that balance of like, how do you use your talents, but not overwhelm a group when you're in a leadership position? Mm -hmm. It's really, really hard to do. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great, great analogy. Because it's like, how do you shine, but still be part of a team, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something um, that people either dim their light in order to be part of a team or outshine and that, you know, like become hated or become, or become loved, but depended on, and then no one else grows. Yeah, no, I think that's a really wonderful analogy. Wonderful analogy. I no, I was going to say, um, yeah, the power of just sharing your ideas last and also the power of what else, you know, Mm -hmm. your team, especially if they become used to either you setting a strategy or you coming up with ideas it's going to take a while for them to build muscles where one, they, they may already feel safe offering their ideas, but they might not feel as comfortable being throwing them out there or being as generative. So the power of what else, and it's going to be annoying at first, but someone's going to put out an idea. You're like, okay, well, what else? Pause. Don't fill. That's my problem. (laughs) Like filling the silence. That is something I'm always working on, especially in facilitation. Sit with the silence just a couple seconds longer, and then someone usually comes in. And so that that is those are two tips. So waiting till the end to share your ideas and then asking people what else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Our last piece is Trent and Roy. Or do you have something else? I, I want to talk about the Chelsea game in, in, entirely, okay. right? They go to Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. So they go to Chelsea and it's, um, as we mentioned, it's Roy's first time back since he retired. And you could tell, I don't know, Roy's always a little cranky, but it was a different flavor of crankiness. Maybe he was a little worried. And it's really beautiful that the, the, everyone, the crowd starts cheering for him, right? They're so happy he's back. Um, they so see cute. him. Yeah, they see him as a, a as a beloved, beloved member, even, you know, or, or what's the word I'm looking for, you know, player in the history of the league. And um, he's really touched, you know, he can't believe it when he starts hearing the crowd chant his name, and then he gets up and he waves and you can tell he's really touched. Um, okay, so then there's halftime, and they're in the locker room and they're down by a goal. And Jamie wants to propose some ideas. And then Trent Krim walks in and everyone hushes. Here's where I was really proud of Ted. Because Ted, who's like conflict avoidant, saw this, was like, okay, like enough with this Trent Krim Roy stuff. We are at halftime. Jamie's got an idea. We like, it's now hurting the team. Roy's bullshit is now hurting the team's ability to just like function. So he pulls Roy into the shower area and it's like, listen, you gotta, you gotta squash this. I don't know what it is, but you gotta figure it out because it's having really bad impact on the team. Roy and Trent then uh, have a one-on-one 
and Roy shares, he pulls out of his wallet, this crumpled up snippet of a newspaper. And it was Trent writing this terrible, like, take on Roy's first game when he was 17 years old. And now we don't know how Roy is, how old he is, but let's say he's like mid to late thirties. So he's been holding on to this piece of paper in his wallet for 20 years. And he's like, I was 17. This crushed me. And then what does Trent say? Cause you know this, what does Trent say? Yeah. So Trent has this beautiful moment where he says, um, all I did was look for the worst in people and I'm sorry. And it was set. We've yeah. we've talked a lot on this season on these episodes about what makes a good apology, and I just thought it was a it was a beautiful apology, and it was like and it was like acknowledging too, which is something that's very close to my heart, is that we're very wired as human beings to be fault finders. And Trent was young, and he was a journalist who was trying to make a name for himself, and he was just trying to find anything that would get clicks, like anything with negativity. And he's saying, "I've I've changed. Like I recognize that that was a bad mindset, and I've changed. And I'm sorry I did that to you as a 17 year old." Yeah, it's also interesting. Made me think about the pieces of feedback that we hold on to, mm-hmm. right? And. Roy, in a very unhealthy way, just kept channeling it into this hate towards Trent, but was willing to acknowledge like this broke me. Right. Um, And clearly never healed from it. And it's unclear if he believed the feedback or not. But it's it brought up this thing. It's like, how comfortable are we hearing criticism? What do we do with it? How do we process it? How do we move on? What are the things we decide mm. to hold on to that we then believe ourselves? What are the things that hurt us? But I, it was really because, you know, feedback is no company has figured out how to do it successfully. Right. And they have a lot of theories on that. <laughs> You know, which is great because it keeps me in business because people want to hire me to help them figure it out. But like, but it's, um, it's, it's such a human interaction, right? Where, oh, people, and it's like, people think that it's just about talking, but it's such a complicated, I mean, so like, if you go back to like how teams evolve, like everyone wants a culture of feedback, but feedback is an output, just like results are an output. You can't, you can't have a goal of results. You have a goal of creating strong teams through trust, through collaboration, mm-hmm. through effective delegation, through like clarity and conversations, through getting people committed to a shared vision. Like if you have those things in place and you work on feedback, then you're going to get results, right? But people always miss that first step and they're like, oh, I just want people to have, you know, a culture of feedback. And I'm like, that takes a lot of work. And all fluffy stuff, quote unquote, that you like to call it, you're scared of. You don't do that. It ain't going to happen. Right. It's not just redesigning the, also people always think it's like, what if it was an app? I'm like, oh my God, no, there is no technological solution to behavioral problems. (laughs) Let's start there. But it, to your point, you need to often redesign or improve or even put in place ways of working right that allow that are built on trust that allow for trust that allow people to feel safe that they belong that they're contributing that they're being valued and then feedback is this normal thing because it's seen as helping it is seen as helping each other and helping the work 
Because right now, when it's treated so separately as this once a year or twice a year thing. Oh, God, don't get me started. It's so stupid. I understand. It, 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 it's so much pressure on it. So I also think clients are often or organizations are like, oh, we want a culture of feedback, but we're still going to do it once a year. I'm like, that's not a culture of feedback. That's a moment of feedback. That's not a culture. That's a moment. And okay. and it's often bad. Here's two other complicated things that go into this, this fantasy that people think that they could achieve with training, which still hire Virginia and I, please, if you're listening to this, we'll still, <laughs> we'll still train you all day long, even though it doesn't work all the time. We, we'll get, we'll get you better. We'll, we'll get you better. We'll, we'll yeah. get you better, but you got to do some major work to make this happen. Um, so the two things are, is that we're wired to look for faults, right? So like, I always like to use the analogy when you see someone do a presentation, if you're not aware of your mental process, you're going to be thinking about all of the filler words that they said, you're going to be thinking about all of the gaps of their stories. And then like what you want to do as a normal human is to go and tell them, Hey, if you did all these things better, that presentation might've been okay. And so that's just an example, but we do this at work too. When you're leading a team, you're like, oh, that person needs to do that better. That person needs to do this. This person needs to upskill God, like, right. It's like that person needs to do this better. Mm -hmm. That's what your brain wants to tell you to do. So it takes a lot of work. So that, it, that compounds with the fact that you can only hear feedback if you're also hear, hearing recognition. So to yeah. be able to do that ratio you, as the leader, you have to start noticing the good things people do and call that out. If you ever stand a chance at being able to tell people criticism, and that's a lot of work, especially if you are hardwired to look for faults in people. And the second part of that is to build a culture of feedback. You have to be the person that's asking for it. Like it starts with the leader. What am I doing? What would you do if you were me? What, what, what advice would you give me if you weren't scared of any kind of reaction? How could I be a better manager for you? How could I enable you? What barriers could I take away for you? What could I do better? Like if you're not doing that as a manager, your chances, again, of being able to deliver feedback to other people and it go successfully is, is it's probably not going to happen. People, you're just going to create resentment on your team. Yeah. I've, I have two things. One is that you essentially said this. It's like the, we can't just introduce a new tool for feedback nor a new process. Like it can't go from like, oh, we used to do it once a year. Now we're doing it twice. The other, there's so many other things that need to change around um, the day to day processes, the skills that people have, the incentives, like the structure and infrastructure that exists that allow these things. So just there's a lot of things in an organization's ecosystems that have to shift for new behaviors to kind of be put out, adopted, and then practice, etc. I also was reminded, as you were talking, I was reminded of that saying, it's like, would you take feedback, would you take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice mm -hmm. from, right? And so I've, I had to remind myself of that when I would get really sort of stinging critiques. And then I'd be like, wait, but is this the type of person I would take advice from? If yes, I'm going to listen. If no, then I, I'll, there's probably a kernel in here I can take, but I don't have to let it break my soul type of thing. <laughs> that's easier said than done, easier said than done, but that's eventually like what I kept working on. But the flip is true as well. So meaning when I was giving feedback, I'd think about before I do, 
how, whether it's advice or not, but what is my role in helping them? Instead of just calling out what's wrong or broken or what they're not doing right, what is my role? What is within my control to help them? Can I carve out some extra hours a day to let them shadow me? Can I proofread something before it goes out? Can I pull budget to send them to a training? So that felt like it's it's you giving feedback without also giving support is like, ugh, you know, so yeah, I think about okay. that too. Um, last thing I'm going to say on this too, because you are a, you know, like you're a type A personality, right? Like we've talked about our differences before in Enneagram three, a lot of times when women are in Enneagram three, they will get feedback or criticism on their driving personality. Whereas if it's a man, they don't get criticism, they get accolades. So if mm -hmm. anyone, if anyone identifies with that, I want you to know that you're actually probably not the problem. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you might be right, you might be driving a little too hard, and you need to chill out a little bit. And that's fine. But but you also need to question, like, is this being targeted at me because it's like a, is a gender thing? Because that's very, very prevalent in the workplace is that driving women get um, they get their hands slapped. Whereas if the behavior is in a man, they get promoted usually. Yeah. If you um, folks listening, if you were to Google agentic language and communal language, this often comes up in how um, feedback is given, how job descriptions are written, and it's very gendered, essentially. So agentic language is like powerful, driving, assertive, you know, things like these sort of adjectives you'd use to describe certain people or roles. And communal is like loyal, facilitative, you know, etc. And and through time, those have become gendered in the way we talk to each other. So, so much so that when you have a woman being described as assertive, it feels like, oh, it doesn't feel the same as when a man's being described that way. And so it's something really to be paying attention to the type of language and adjectives we use to describe people. And each other. Or roles. Be very, each other and roles. Be very careful if how you describe your female colleagues. The words that you use are important because they create the narrative inside of a workplace. So like, um, so like just think about the words that you're using. And I, I, I can't remember the study on this, but I, when I learned it, I realized that I was, I was using words like hardworking and like nice about my female co-workers that were like powerhouses. And as soon as I learned that I changed it, I like people be like, Hey, uh, what do you think about this person? I'd be like, she's an absolute leader. She is like, yeah. she, she's a powerhouse. Like everyone goes to her for advice, right? Like the way that we talk about each other adds to our power inside the workforce. And, and we can do that for each other too. Yeah, for sure. And job descriptions, when people don't even realize it, if it's a, if it's a role that they already have associated with a man or a woman, even though like they're open to hiring anyone or what have you, you'll notice it in the job description as well. And the challenge is that, that sometimes women don't see themselves mm. in certain roles or men don't see themselves in certain roles because the language that we've been trained to associate with ourselves isn't resonating. Interesting. Yeah. So there's work to be done on both ends. Yeah. yeah. To be able to see yourself in that language and also shift the language we use to describe each other. Yeah. Okay. So feedback is complicated. <laughs> Make sure you ask for it first. Be careful of the giver of the person giving yeah. you. 
giving you um, one of my, my business partner always says is that, you know, like feedback is like elbows. Everybody has them, right? Like be careful. Don't let it reframe your identity. And yeah, like just, I think that if you're leading an organization, just realize that it's a lot more complicated than you probably think that it is. And it's a skill that you really, really have to learn over time. And you can't just, yeah. You can't just tell someone, oh, just go give them feedback and think that it's going to work. Yeah. And our, b- bringing it back to our buddy Roy, who obviously has been carrying around this feedback for 20 years, but seems to make peace with Trent. At the very end of the episode, we realized, like, we, we already knew this, but we're reminded Roy's really hard on himself. Mm-hmm. Right. And Ted asks him, what was it like being back at Chelsea after so much time? And hearing the crowd be so excited, right? And he talks about deciding to leave Chelsea was one of his last seasons where he wasn't playing that great. And he didn't like that about himself, that he decided basically, I'm going to leave. I'm no longer as good as I used to be. So I'm going to leave before I get fired, right? And and they talk about that. Well, sometimes it's better to leave before you get fired, like knowing when it's time. And Roy says, but sometimes I think what would have happened if I had just like, stuck around or sort of, you know, remove that pressure for myself to be as good as I was when I was in my early 20s and just had fun. But uh, that's not who I am. Yeah. Right? He said, I um, wish I would have just enjoyed myself. Yeah. And, and Ted tells him, well, it's not who you are yet. You know, you could maybe one day. And so that's interesting that we're we're seeing these little things with Roy as well, sort of recognizing, like, I know the way I'm wired. Mm-hmm. I know where it's helped me, but I also know where it's it's kind of getting in my way. And we wonder if this season is about him learning to, like, enjoy himself a little bit more, allow himself to enjoy himself a little bit more. Yeah. Like, we saw that with Keely. That was all of the relationship with Keely. And so the fact that he ends up breaking up with her, we're like, Roy, it's okay. You are allowed nice things. <laughs> you are allowed joy, Roy. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to get out of survival mode, though. I mean, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. I hope he gets there. And it ends. And the, and the episode ends with Trent Kremgo's sports. It's quite the metaphor. <laughs> oh my gosh well and ted says great nickname so thanks to all our sports (laughs) listening out there (laughs) we appreciate you and we'll be back next time with season three episode three thanks for tuning in take care everybody Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez, who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.